Welcome back. We've been reviewing our recent discussion with grid integration expert Dr. Rebecca Shirley. She's been showing us some of the many ways in which the support of high-quality research can boost energy sector growth. In the first part of our conversation, we saw this principle at work in sub-Saharan Africa. When energy or electricity comes to an area, what actually happens there? And, and what's the process by which the economy becomes to be stimulated? And is there something we can learn there um, to then transfer and, and, and reproduce at scale? And we're about to talk about how we can also benefit right here at home. That's questions around finance, that's business, that's entrepreneurship. And so I think there's a whole question there to be asked and that could actually, you know, create create some really interesting and innovative ways of thinking about renewable energy. I'm Jelani Blake, and in part two of our special two-part episode of Caesar Voices, we'll consider the importance of research and access to data while assessing the state of energy reform in the Caribbean. As we saw in part one, energy sector transformation can be applied more broadly than many of us probably realize, which is why it's important to get an idea of the forces generating interest in the effort. What are some of the trends you're seeing driving growth in the energy sector here in the Caribbean? Oh, that's a great question. Um, So I'd say that the Caribbean is benefiting from and contributing to um, some of the the trends that are driving the global energy transition. And I'm going to talk about three. Now, if you've been following the Caesar Voices podcast, the first trend should be an easy guess. So decarbonization is the the move towards um, shifting generation, transmission, distribution into a lower carbon future. Um, So this is the conversation on renewable energy. It's a conversation around energy efficiency, you know, more modern fuels, that kind of thing. That's a a very uh, global conversation that's happening right now. You're seeing a lot of divestment away from coal and gas. Um, You're seeing countries now develop uh, renewable energy portfolios and standards. And so there's a whole conversation um, that's happening around decarbonization. And I think the Caribbean, um, you know, is... Um, is, is, is part of that. Um, we are actually part of pushing that conversation. When you go to the COP meetings and so on, it's the Caribbean delegates there that are pushing this conversation around climate change. And so we are, that's why I said that we're not just benefiting from, but contributing to some of these trends. And so that's what I think is partly driving this growing interest in renewables um, over the past, I'd say, you know, 10 to 15 years in the Caribbean. So that's one. You'd think decarbonization would be enough of a cause to push the sector all on its own, since small islands like ours are already getting hit pretty hard by climate change in some pretty destructive ways. Which actually brings us to the second trend driving change. Decentralization wasn't always a priority for the energy sector, thanks to the high cost of decentralized tech and the relatively small size of Caribbean countries. But a sharp, steady rise in the frequency and severity of natural disasters thanks to climate change has raised a very important infrastructural question. What's the implicit cost of not having a resilient system? How much do you lose economically and in terms of life um, with not having resilient systems that can adapt and, and, and um, you know, sort of support themselves, protect themselves against extreme climate conditions? And in the Caribbean, you're seeing this, right? We look at what happened um, in Puerto Rico. You look at what happened in the Bahamas with these hurricanes. The hurricanes. And exactly. And so now we're seeing a move. There's, there's companies that are now 
um, you know, in Puerto Rico, experimenting with containerized solar, containerized grid systems, uh, mini grid systems. And so I think that although the use case or the application is less about reaching remote communities, none of us are really that remote uh, on, these, on these islands, but there's a real um, and very imminent use case around resilience and building more resilient infrastructure that can protect itself during times of disaster, but then also um, post-disaster, um, we're able to recover faster. So as I was mentioning with the containerized solar systems, for instance, those can be deployed so quickly. This is another interesting area where we see the potential for different kinds of solutions to form part of the same conversation. I was working um, with a company in the Philippines, another island region, where um, after Hurricane or Typhoon Yolanda, they were deploying electric vehicles, electric minibuses, um, and allowing persons to charge phones and lanterns and so on from, from, from the batteries on the buses. Um, and so you see, that's, that's what I mean by resilience. How can yeah, we no, think of ways? It was, it was brilliant to see in action, brilliant. And yeah, I, I, I was, yeah, it was so inspiring to see that. And of course, my mind just goes, wow, we could use this. We could use this, um, this application of electric mobility in the Caribbean today. Um, so I think that's another, another trend that I'm seeing driving us is, is the decentralization and the, um, you know, the applications that make sense for us in the Caribbean. You see, with ready access to relevant information, we can make smarter decisions and generate new ideas. And this is precisely how the push for energy reform is being supported by the third trend, digitization, which Rebecca describes as... The uptake of digital technologies to provide... Um, uh, more flexible, intelligent, connected, responsive uh, infrastructure and energy systems. So you, you know, every house now has Alexa and Siri, and there are, um, you know, we have smart meters now, or and we have smart uh, monitors that help you think through um, and help you see and visualize real time. Um, how power is being used in the house and where uh, you can make gains on energy efficiency and where you can manage energy better, where you could maybe use the dishwasher or the drying machine or the washing machine as a different type of time of day um, and, and have and uh, then cut down on your costs, for instance. So there's a lot of that that's happening. And I think those decent digitization trends um, are making energy management and energy efficiency an easier exercise to do. And I feel like we're really able to leverage that um, as that's becoming more commonplace and the costs for those kinds of things are coming down. So there are multiple conversations happening in the region. But are the right people listening in, maybe getting involved? What I think I want to know is, are we already trying to go in this direction in the Caribbean? Are we, are we trying to increase that access mm -hmm. to data that policymakers need? to, to right. make these decisions? That's a good one. Um, so, you know, what I would say is that just jumping off of the, the question you had just asked about trends, right. um, what those trends are causing um, is that because it's becoming more of a mainstream topic, you know, energy service provision and renewables and climate resilience and so on, you're seeing more and more involvement from the multilaterals the financers like Caribbean Development Bank, IADB, um, World Bank, and also I would say from governments. Um, we're seeing traction from governments that uh, companies that have been, you know, um, advocating for renewable energy have been asking for for years and years in the Caribbean. Um, 
you know, if you look at sort of uh, across across the 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 um, our archipelago, you're seeing net metering tariff, um, net metering and feed-in tariff um, regulations being put into place. You're seeing new energy acts. You're seeing uh, there's a new act in Barbados, um, and so you, you know, it's just I feel like there is actually more interest and understanding of the importance of this of these issues from the government. Are we there entirely? Um, do we have all of the tools that create an enabling environment for private sector to operate? No, I don't think so. And I definitely think that there are some countries um, in the Caribbean that are more ahead than others as well. Um, so, that, so I think, you know, to answer your question, I think that there are a lot of people um, and, and expert practitioners that understand um, what needs to happen and have been lobbying for that for a long time. And I think that conversation is starting to finally reach um, the persons that need to hear it. We're not where we need to be just yet, but those with the power to open certain doors for the sector are finally starting to pay attention. And trust me, it's way overdue. I did a lot of this research, um, trying to understand for myself as a, as a young master student, what a, what a, what's the status of renewable energy in the Caribbean? And I, you know, doing research, you see, okay, there's Lucilec in St. Lucia that's building um, solar plants. There's Wig, Wigton Wind Farms in Jamaica. There's, um, you know, Mega Power in Barbados and, uh, that does electric vehicles. And those stalwarts are still there today. In fact, Wigton Wind Farms in Jamaica, the first time I went there, 10 years ago, it was just a single site. And now they've got over 60 megawatts of wind power wow. operating in Jamaica, in little Jamaica. Yeah. You know, so, so, oh, so I, it's, it is impressive. And I think it really, we need to shout out those commercial operations, those commercial companies that have been in this game, lobbying for and advocating for um, a different approach to energy for now, de I would say decades. Um, they've really paved the way. Um, and when we talk about, um, you know, the challenges, um, they've had to see through, see us through a lot of that. And we're finally at a stage, I think now where the conversation is not so, it is, it's not argumentative and it's not antagonistic. I think governments are now genuinely open to hearing what needs to, what needs to happen. There's work happening in Haiti in Suriname and Grenada. And so slowly the conversation is, is opening up and becoming more, um, you know, more, um, conducive to, um, to how we develop new and renewable energy policy. Okay, so we've got battle-hardened operators still growing and pushing the agenda. And their struggle with policymakers has become more of a discussion. Public interest seems to be increasing as well. So what do we need now to take things further? There's a couple of, of very um, actionable things that could happen in the near-term future to bring, us, to, to bring us to the goal. One is we were just talking about you know, policy, and I think that as much as that conversation is starting to open up, we need even more government interest. Um, we need more government support to create those enabling environments uh, in terms of policy and incentives. We need incentives for, for companies to come into the space, right? If there's not an incentive, then how do we attract companies into, into this region that already, um, you know, struggles from an economies of scale issue? Right, exactly. So that's, that's number one is, is increasing and pushing for even more government interest and, and um, not just interest, but um, participation. Um, in creating enabling environments. All right, so the government needs to step things up and create the right conditions through better policies and incentives. But great conditions alone won't do the job. 
part of the challenge in the Caribbean, and we're just now getting around starting to explore this challenge from the geothermal space, where we're starting to see a few more geothermal um, plants being developed, especially in the eastern Caribbean islands. Um, bankability is a challenge for us. Um, projects have to be of a certain size um, to attract the interest of the multilaterals, um, the, the banks, the private banks. And so how do we design projects um, and portfolios of projects that, um, that are bankable? Um, and I think that's, that's another area where you don't have to be a technician to get involved in the energy sector, right? That's questions around finance, that's business, that's entrepreneurship. And so I think there's a whole question there to be asked and that could actually you know, create some really interesting and innovative ways of thinking about renewable energy um, in the Caribbean. So bankability is like, it's key, and I hope that we can solve that challenge in the Caribbean. This is a great example of the potential for other sectors to get involved in the process. And it really comes down to what Rebecca was saying in the first part of this episode about whole systems design. Speaking of which. Another area that we need to grow into is thinking about the utility as not just a utility. This is not just about selling a utility that sells units of electricity. If you think about the very different definition of the word utility, we're talking about service and function, the provision of service and function. And so if the utility starts to think about itself in that way, naturally you see that we have to also be thinking about storage. We have to be thinking about electric vehicles. We have to be thinking about resilience and decentralization. And so I would love if our conversation in the Caribbean could get to that stage where we're not just talking about putting up individual projects and what is the capacity of a project, but how are these all coming together in some integrated whole that improves the reliability of our grid systems and the resilience of our grid systems so that everybody benefits. So in order to advance our Caribbean campaign, we need to create a better operating environment, design more bankable projects, and think holistically about how we approach development in the renewable sector. But none of this can be done effectively without paying attention to one crucial factor. I think we have a big way to go um, in the Caribbean of, um, of making information more publicly accessible. What you guys are doing here with the podcast um, is amazing and I'm really such, I'm so glad to be a part of it. And I think we oh, need to have more of these kinds of, yes, of course. I mean, it's, 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 um, it's major. We need to have more of these kinds of conversations and we need, um, you know, more persons in the, in the research space, exactly as we we're talking about before, um, thinking about design for resilience, thinking about design for integration, thinking about impact, um, uh, thinking about, uh, you know, business models uh, that make sense in our Caribbean context. And we need to share that information. Um, if you were to look up right now, um, how, what's the total energy draw or energy consumption, electricity consumption across the Caribbean, you'd have to dig around a little bit to find it. That's not a very that's readily a available serious, number. That's a, serious, <laughs> that's a real point, right? It's <laughs> a very serious problem. That's, it's true. You'd have to dig around for the number. Um, even to know how many renewable projects we have online, you'd have to dig around for those numbers. So, so, yeah, and if we don't have that basic level of information available to the public, um, you know, how do, we, how, do we, how do we really have a conversation about knowledge sharing and sharing ideas? Well, we can't. And that's why open access is so important to us here at CESA. It's the entire reason our platform exists. But Rebecca isn't simply paying lip service. 
what we've done at Power for All is we have a platform that we built in-house entirely based on open access applications called Peak, the platform for energy access knowledge. Um, okay. And Peak is essentially a platform that you can go to if you have any questions about energy access. Um, and because it's a, it's it's built with with a bit of smartness, a little bit of AI. So it Peak uses its own sort of you know applications to go out and find the latest, most relevant data on these topics we've, that we've been talking about the whole the whole session, energy access and so on. Right. Yes. And it pull it it goes out, it finds those, and it pulls them into itself. And so you can go to Peak. We've got like a you know a specific a specific. Uh, taxonomy or basically like a glossary uh, of terms, a dictionary of terms you can search by. And so we try to make it really easy for journalists, for students, for practitioners, for policymakers, for the general, the gen any, anybody off the street to go on and educate themselves about what's the latest that's coming out in terms of research and data on energy access. I'd love to see you know, a Caribbean extension of something like that. Uh, so I where we have sort well, of an... Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Open access data for the Caribbean. We'd love it. In the meanwhile, would, would um, persons in the Caribbean, for instance, be able to access Peak, even just to, you know, just to kind of see what's going on, say, in sub-Saharan Africa? A hundred percent, yeah. It's um, www.powerforall.org slash Peak, P-E-A-K. Okay. And um, yes, of course, all of our, the, the data and the reports that we pull into the platform are um, focused on sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia, as I mentioned at the very beginning. But of course, open to anybody in the Caribbean um, to go and see, see what's up on this side of the world. That is brilliant. And in fact, we'll, we'll definitely put a link in the description um, because oh, that's awesome. something I'd love for people to have um, access to that. And I have to say, you know, this is a conversation that has to continue. This is too much. Uh, <laughs> we've, only re <laughs> we've only really scratched the surface here uh, from what I'm seeing. There was so much we didn't get a chance to get into, including Rebecca's work right here at home. She's worked on some pretty interesting applications, including a green jobs estimator and a carbon calculator. Maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that stuff later. But for now, it's encouraging to see experts in the field working to increase public access to data. Without a full understanding of the situation we're dealing with and the factors involved, we simply can't have the kinds of conversations needed to create change and move forward. Anyway, that's all we have for you in our special two-part episode. I'd like to thank Rebecca for sharing her experiences with us and for offering such valuable advice. Now we just need to follow it. Of course, I'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you've been enjoying our podcast so far, please feel free to give us a rating wherever you're listening. I'd also like to remind you that you can visit our website, caesarjournal.org donations to lend your financial support or join our monthly donor club on Patreon and gain access to exclusive content or even be featured in an episode of the Caesar Voices podcast. Just click the links in the description. And if you'd like to sponsor an episode of Caesar Voices and feature your company or NGO, click on our corporate link to learn more. 